Welcome to the Cross Line Podcast. My name is Carlos Smith, and today's episode is sponsored by Big Ben's Dessert and KB's Coffee. Today we're back on the road again in Atlanta. I know this is no cross, but I love to say I just like to say Atlanta because pretty much that's where we are. But we have a very special guest with us today. He's an author, educator, um, heavy in the entertainment industry, so we're going to talk about that as well. Um, the title of his book is called Insider Dating: The Guide to Finding Love by Learning How to to Love Yourself. And the, our guest today is Mr. Troy Gordon. How are you? Hey, man, I'm great. I'm great. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. I enjoyed the conversation we had getting here today since we since we linked up today and then over the phone the conversation we had. So I know it's going to be a, a great conversation. <clears throat> so kind of starting out, though, for people that want to know, like, the backstory, I remember um, I reached out to Shannon, Shannon McCollum, and I, was, I told Shannon, hey, I'm doing another self-investment tour because I, I interviewed Shannon twice already. Um, I interviewed him again last year, and uh, I told him, I said, hey, Shannon, we're uh, doing a self-investment tour again. If you know anybody that uh, would be interested in, you know, coming on sharing a story or anything, let me know. And what I, I really respect about Shannon, man, he's always been, so far, I mean, always been a man his word since I met him. Um, he said, hey, thank you. I appreciate you reaching out. It's good to hear from you again. Um, if I find, find, let it, find anybody, I'll let you know. And then uh, when I first reached out to him, he was on tour with D.L. Hughley and, and the other guys, uh, Cedric the Entertainer, George Lopez. For the, uh, he, on, he on tour right now. He, yeah. went, he, left, he flew out today to meet George in Chicago. Yeah. yeah. And uh, when I reached out to him that time, you know, I was just didn't know what I was doing. I was just, you know, still finding my way um, with the podcast and just traveling. And I was like, man, because um, I followed D.L. Hughley, and D.L. tagged Shannon in a picture that Shannon took of him. So I went on Shannon's profile, and I was looking into him, and I was like, man, let me just reach out to him. And I'm in my mind, I was thinking, man, he might not even reach out to me, man. He don't know me or know anything about me. And uh, about an hour later, I got a, a message from Shannon saying, hey, I love what you're doing, man. I love to share my story on your platform. So ever since then, man, Shannon always been cool with me, man, always respectful, and uh, invited me to his home to shoot an interview twice. And uh, when I reached out to him again this time, told him what we were doing, he said, I'll definitely let you know. And maybe like a week later, he told me y'all were out to eat or something like that. And he's like, man, this is his contact information. So that's, he always. That's, that's my man. Yeah, he looked out. And then when you when you reached out to me, I was actually in New Jersey at the time, shooting some interviews up there. So um, I told you, man, I appreciate you reaching out, ready to get. I said, I was going to get back to you when I got back in town, man, because we've been on the road a good bit so far yeah. this year. But um, but I'm happy to have you here now, man. I really appreciate it. So that's a little bit of the backstory for people um, wanting to know. And I'm um, definitely looking forward to this conversation. But kind of starting out, I know I introduced you as an author, an educator, entrepreneur. Um, you're big on the entertainment industry. You work in the entertainment industry that we'll talk about. But how would you describe your, yourself? As like, who is Troy Gordon? Woo! Uh, <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, basically, I think... I'm very committed to being a stand-up guy. And I mm -hmm. think from my upbringing and the experiences that I had as a child, it kind of shaped and molded, you know, who I became. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm a product of a single-parent home, uh, teenage parents. Father never was really in my life, so I was raised by my mother. And, you know, as you grow, you kind of figure out, you know, who you are and what shaped you. So just kind of going back, um, my father had a stroke maybe 10 or 11 years ago. So I never mm. was raised with him. I mean, he, we never, you know, he never took me to play ball, haircuts, nothing. Like, we really had no interaction. 
But, you know, you see how people have negative um, feelings about parents when you have those types of situations. I never really had those, although I was upset because, like, you know, he'll tell me he's coming to get me and it never show up. So when Mm -hmm. I was about seven, eight years old, man, I had to decide. I'm going to keep crying in my grandmama window or, you know, I'm going to say the hell with it and, you know, be a man and man up and start shaping and molding how I dealt with adversity. And that mm-hmm. really shaped and molded who I became as a man. It, and it hurt me in some ways in relationships because people would be like, oh, you you detached. Or, you mm-hmm. know, you all the way over here and you're not emotional and you're not this and you're not that. But I think it also helped me because I never really got too high, never really got too low right. when it came to dealing with adversity. So it kind of helped me become who I became and hey, I appreciate for the experience. Mm. Did it feel like that was kind of normal, you know, being young and your father, you say you never, he was never really there. Of course he said he would come pick you up from time to time, but it did it start to feel normal with him just like not really being there? No, because what was funny was, you know, um, we had, my, my grandmother had five kids, so all the siblings had children. So, you know, it was a lot of, you know, grandchildren. Mm-hmm. So my cousins would be getting picked up you know, to go, some of them, you know, with, with their fathers or whomever. So I never really, until I started playing Little League sports and then I was with my stepfather at that time, did it really kind of like, well, this is what it's supposed to be. But, you know, the age-old story, you at school, is a parent day or anything like that, and you don't have nobody there to represent you, and you sitting over there by yourself and everybody else, with their parents, and you like, like, is this what life is? Right, yeah. Like, this is how it's supposed to go? And I'm like, nah, it's not supposed mm-hmm. to go like that. So I vowed with that experience never to never to do that to my kids. I wanted to make sure that I was there for them. And in some of the decisions that I made further down the road in life, it was impacted because of my personal experience. I probably went into a, some of the relationships like, I don't want to do this to my kids. So... I'm going to try to make this work regardless of if I love this person or like this person or we on good terms. I'm going to try to make it work for this particular situation. So, again, positively and negatively, it did impact my life. Absolutely. Um, I know we were talking earlier. You say you were born in South Carolina. Well, I was born in Augusta. In Augusta. In Augusta, Augusta. And then you uh, came to Atlanta. So, you pretty much been here. I've been here since I was in the... Third grade. Third grade. Yeah. Okay. So we we moved we moved a lot. Yeah. Um. So I moved. I was born in Augusta as a toddler. We moved to Texas. Lived in Texas about maybe two years for my uncle to finish helicopter school. Then we left there and went to New, um, Newport News, Virginia. Probably lived there a couple of years. My aunt and uncle separated. We moved back to Georgia. Mm-hmm. And I stayed here until I went second grade in Augusta. I remember because I got bust, um, like some Ruby Bridges type stuff. I got bust to an all white school, and traumatic. Mm. <laughs> it was like some Ruby Bridges <laughs> stuff. So went went there, and then my mom got married um, to my stepfather. Okay, and he was in the military, and he ended up getting into a real real bad car accident and almost passed. So in his rehabilitation, they separated. Um, we moved to Atlanta, and when he got out the hospital and got better, they got back together, and he came and got us from Atlanta, and we moved to Texas. And I lived in El Paso for about three years. 
Then I came back to Atlanta in the sixth grade, and I pretty much been here. Other than you know going to, I went to go to Howard for a minute, but that didn't that didn't work out. But that's a whole another story. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I got back in sixth grade, and I pretty much been here ever since. And you, I know in your book you were saying that you kind of uh, women kind of like had a heavy influence on your life. Talk Definitely. a little bit about that because, you, like you said, your, your um, father so, wasn't really there. Yeah. So my father was never there, so my grandmother was very, very instrumental in my life. I spent a lot of time with her. My mother worked for as long as I can remember, you know, two, three jobs, and a lot of times I would spend a lot of time with my grandmother. So I read or was able to read very early on. Like I was reading in, like, kindergarten. I could read the newspaper. My job was to get my grandmother's the newspaper, read her the funnies, because she only had a sixth-grade education. She was a sharecropper. So, um, she could read, but she preferred to let the grandchildren read. So, I was pretty smart. Um, I started reading for her. I had to read for her, make her coffee, and get her spit cup. She dipped snuff. And it was one of the worst damn jobs ever. My uncle did, man. He, he stayed right next to us, and I remember that. Oh, oh my God. It was, it, was, it, was, it was awful. <laughs> but those were my responsibilities up until I went to school and all the time that I spent to her. So, she was... Definitely into the church, so I spent a lot of time in the church, ushering, singing in the choir, all that kind of stuff. So she took me everywhere with her. So she was a very, very strong, principled woman. She believed in what she believed in, and you better uh, be down with the process or else. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So spent time with her. Obviously, my aunt was very instrumental in my life, my mother's oldest sister, because that's who moved us to uh, Virginia and Texas. Um... When my mother had me. Is that your Aunt Anna? Yes. Okay, yeah, Aunt I had Anna. a question about Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Auntie Anna. She was, uh, you know, she was a very, very, uh, she was a high stepper, uh, homecoming queen. You know, she was debutante the whole nine. Mm-hmm. Um, we couldn't, if we didn't use the King's English, she had a problem with it because she went to school at um, Payne College. When, and she was an English major, so she was very, very, but she ended up not graduating from there. She went to nursing school. Mm-hmm. And um, graduated from nursing school and became a nurse. And um, that was pretty much her career. She ended up being um, working for the Secretary of State Investigations, who do investigations on doctors and malpractice and stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a subsidiary of the GBI. You said she was kind of like, and re- just reading the book, it was all like she was kind of like your go-to because you confided in her. That's who like, I could talk to. Right. Like, so she was she was real laid back. She, you know, she left Augusta Young. Moved to uh, New York. She mm-hmm. traveled with James Brown, flew on a private jet. Mm-hmm. So she was a jet setter. So she was more worldly. Mm-hmm. My mom was very strict. Um, hey, <laughs> it's my way or the mm-hmm. highway. So when it came time to discuss things that, you know, were, you know, hard, you know, conversations to have, it was easier to talk to my aunt than my mother. And then my aunt might go to my mother and be like, well, Troy said, such and such and yeah. such and such. Because in in the book you said you came to her when you caught uh got a uh, gonorrhea. <laughs> yeah, you use a different word for clap. it in the book. Clap, yeah, clap, yeah. <laughs> so and, yeah, and yeah. I was so I asked him. I was like, "Well, she was a nurse." Clap. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, "What does clap mean?" And they would they tell me. I was like, "Okay." So from that story, I got something similar to that as well. Um, when you told your aunt. But I had a similar situation. Uh, I was like, man, we got something in common, right? <laughs> because I was, 
this was my freshman year in college, and uh, it happened to me. The first girl I ever slept with in college, it was unprotected, man. Beautiful girl. And I wrote about it in my book as well. And uh, I thought everything was good, and then maybe Until like. you caught fire. Yeah, exactly. So it was probably like maybe like a few days later, and uh, got up that morning, getting ready to go, getting ready for class. I want to use the bathroom. I was like, man, this kind of burn right here. So then uh, I was like, man, it might just be one time, and then uh, had to use the bathroom again. The same thing happened again. I'm like, man, all right, something ain't right. So I'm about to call home. So I had to call my parents. And I tell him, I need, I need y'all to take me to the doctor. I'm like, what's wrong? I was like, man, I'm burning, it's leaking and everything. Yeah, that um, discharge. It was, it, it was rough, man. Yeah, green boogers in your drawers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that was one of the worst. <laughs> I couldn't concentrate in class. And, oh, this was my freshman year, the first girl I ever slept with in college. And uh, just sharing, I was like, man, when you, so when you wrote about this, it took me back to my freshman year. I'm like, man, this is crazy right here. And I had a, my, my dad gave me a talk on the way. He was like, man, y'all slow down. He's like, you ain't doing nothing. We done, I done been there before. We ain't yeah. Like, he didn't say he caught an STD or anything. He's like, man, y'all ain't doing, me and my brother, like, y'all ain't doing nothing we haven't did when we were younger. Yeah. But I was like, just that feeling like, so when you wrote about that. I my like, mom, man. so, you know, my mom was a church going woman. So she was telling her friends about the book. So she actually read the book. And she was like, what the hell? I can't, I can't share this to, why are you telling all this? I said, Ma, you know. I again, I'm a stand up dude. Like all my friends yeah. growing up, I saw some dudes about two weeks ago. The Falcons played out in um, Riverdale. Well, the, the, we watched the game out in Riverdale, and that's seeing them dudes. Like, hey man, you still the same dude? You always been a stand up guy. Yeah. Da da da. So that's who I am. So I said, man, I can't put out a book and I don't tell the truth. Right. So you know, it's so many people who are fake or fraudulent, and that's just not who I am. So if I'm going to tell the story, I'm going to tell the whole story. And it's my story, so right. if I am if I embrace it, who who can judge me? Exactly. It's just being open Cause, and honest. Because it's, it's a lot of other folks who woke up with they, green boogers in their Exactly. <laughs> they might be scared to talk about it, but I was like, man, at least we just keeping it real. And it's like, you just... I just share my story, man, and stuff that I've been through, man. I was like, man, it's because it can help other people. Other people, exactly. So that's why I, when I wrote my book, I was like, man, it just made me open up about so much stuff that I was holding in for so long that I never even thought I would even talk about. And it's still certain things that I wrote about in my book. It made me laugh. Some stuff is like, man, kind of bothered me because of the way I handled certain situations. But it's like, man, you go through this stuff and. uh but you live and you learn. It's like as you get older. And when you I was, come out on the other side, man, it makes you stronger. Wisdom. It creates exactly. the opportunity to ascertain wisdom. Yep. And people don't really understand how. You can't get wisdom unless you have experiences. So you exactly. got to go through it. So Abs- hey, what's the best way? Absolutely. <laughs> you don't want to go through it that way. But hey, it's, it's hey, like, yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it's a lesson. It, it, it happens. <laughs> Hey, sometimes we have to learn that lesson more than once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it in the hunt. It's, it's real, man. It's, hey, oh, man, we, we done had this conversation with my boys and everything, man. So it's it's definitely something real, for real. Yes. Um, but we're we, we not the only ones. But it's just, uh, man, it's the first time we ever actually talked about something like this uh, during the interview as yeah. well. But it's but I, I love that so far, man, just keeping it real. 
Um, growing up though, like what were some things that you were into? I know you said it said sports, but what what are the things that like you gravitated towards when growing up? I, I think I was always a creative, outgoing, social person. Now, the crazy thing is, dude, I was mad shy. But I was also very social. If that it was just a weird dynamic. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't talk to girls. I ain't never really you know, walked up to a girl a cold call to dance or to ask out on a date. Normally, girls like me. And via friendships with them or via friendships in lieu of other people, I typically tend to meet people. So when people typically meet me, initially they think he's stuck up or he standoffish or whatever the case may be. I'm just a person who, when I meet you, I'm. it's a filling out process. Mm-hmm. I want to see, are you genuine? Are you real? And then most of the time what happens is when they open up to me and I get to see who they are, then I open up to them. They be like, oh, this dude here is wild. Like, mm-hmm. he funny, he, you know, gregarious, all of the outgoing stuff. But one-on-one, you know, I'm kind of laid back initially. So um, always been pretty creative. Um, like I said, I grew up singing in the choir. Um just you know, we I come from a musical family. My grandmother um, is a singer. My aunt, and my great aunt, which is my grandmother's sister and her brother, both played in some of the initial bands that um, James Brown had in Augusta. My mm-hmm. father was a drummer, and his brother, two his two older brothers, one played uh, guitar, the other play. I think both of them played guitar. So my grandfather owned a juke joint. So people would come there and perform and sing. And so we come from a musical family. So it was always in my, always in my gene. Like when um, Sam and Dave and other um, R&B soul groups would come to Augusta, my dad would like open up for them in clubs and, and, and play with them and all that kind of stuff. So it was just always in our family to be creative musically um, as well as other ways. So I guess, you know, I was born with it. So... In high school, when so when was the point where you started getting heavily like involved? Um, I guess in the entertainment industry, like it was. It- I didn't until college. Um, I was shy, so I didn't really want to step out in the front. I did my first talent show as a senior in high school. Um, me and um, my best friend Quentin Jordan and one of my other road dogs growing up, Tony Gaines. We did the Beastie Boys. We did like a Beastie Boy compilation. At our um, high school, well, I was, me and Quinn were both seniors and Tony was a junior. And as our um, performance, we did a compilation of uh, Beastie Boy, uh, License to Ill tracks, which we rocked the house. But we also got suspended that day because mm. <laughs> <laughs> we brought uh, Slit Smoke Liquor Bull uh, to, into the building while we brought it from the house while we were practicing. And one of the homies we grew up with got caught and told on everybody. Oh, man. So, likely story, we got suspended. We weren't supposed to perform in a talent show because we got suspended. Right. We bum-rushed the talent show and performed anyway. Man. <laughs> That's dope. And we threw beer in the crowd. <laughs> so, we was wild, bro. <laughs> Not wild as in gangster wild, but wild as in... Kids having and a good fun. time, yeah, having fun, and having fun, yeah. And we we were legendary for that concert. So you were you were in a group, you said, right? I was in a couple of groups. Okay, I was in a group called Seduction, 
with Kevin Wells. Kevin Wells is the cat who found uh, ABC um, along with um, Courtney Bear Seals. Um, they found 112 and several mm-hmm. other, you know, uh, he worked uh, in close concert with Dallas Austin with a lot of stuff that they did. Because um, as a matter of fact, Dallas Austin was the person who did the production for ABC. So they worked in concert okay. on that. Um, you know, I think originally Kevin basically groomed ABC, but the music industry is kind of like a like a pyramid. You find a group, but you're new. You don't have the connects. Somebody sees your group. They like them. They put the money behind them. So they make you road. Instead of now being the manager, now you're the road manager. Now the person who has the money is the manager. The manager. And they got the connections. And then if I bring you a group now, I'm the road manager. You're the manager. You just bump up. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much how you get introduced into the game. And do they try to like phase you out at some point with that type of stuff? As far as like well, management, it, it, or it's, it's kind of crazy, man. It all depends on who you're working with. Like some people are good business people, and some people aren't. Mm-hmm. So it is, you know, what kind of, you know, did you have an attorney that set you up so you kind of knew your rights mm-hmm. and how much you signed away and what you signed away. And then, too, your hustle. Because if you're trying to get into the game and I got this group, you got to believe I can find another group. So, mm-hmm. like, the dude who found New Edition, he found Backstreet Boys. So, can you duplicate the plan? And that's kind of how you get into it. It, it seems like nowadays, though, it's kind of hard to... Uh, there are groups, but not, it don't seem like it's as many like as it was. Yeah, it, it's not a lot of groups. Yeah, it, Everything is... I can't remember the last time a hit group, yeah, it's been black a, hit group came out. Yeah, it's I been a long even, time. You know, yeah. you got rappers, you got singers, soloists, but groups. Yeah. Why? Why do you think we don't we see less of like groups nowadays as opposed to like the eighties and nineties? I think now you know. I think the advent of social media, people are loners. They spend a lot of time alone. And on top of that, with the advances in technology, you can do all the stuff at home. It's a one-stop right. shop. So what I need to get four or five more people, and I can do the beat, I can record myself right at the crib by myself. And I can put it out mm-hmm. <laughs> by myself. So you don't really need, you know, and I think people are becoming more loners, you know, with the way society is set up and with the amount of time that people spend on social media. Like, it's a yeah. look at me type generation. Yeah, everything, you know, with TikTok, Instagram, OnlyFans, everything is look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. So when you are going down that road, it's very yeah. easy to get stuck in that. Yeah. In that realm, to, of- to me, it seemed like the entertainment industry, and we're gonna talk about your book as well. But the the entertainment industry, to me, it seemed like those that was kind of like the golden era, maybe like that nineties, eighties, nineties era, early two thousand. Seemed mm-hmm. like that was kind of like the golden era. Well, that's when um, Atlanta really hit. I mean, we had some precursors like you know old school cameo and you know people like that. But you know when you had Crisscross with Jermaine with Dupree, Jermaine Dupree, Dupree off. yeah. Then, you know, behind that, you had ABC pop off, and then it, it just steadily started coming. Then Outkast hit, then you mm-hmm. had Goody Mob come behind them and the whole Dungeon family. And, you know, LaFace moved here, which happened, was a precursor to, you know, because that's who organized was signed to. Um, 
and then that's when the floodgates opened. You know, mm-hmm. Ti, Young Jeezy. Yeah, that um, was that was a time. Coach K right movement. Um, yeah. So you knew all of these guys, like, or you were kind of like in similar circles, or y'all yeah, knew some of the same yeah, people, yeah, or whatnot. Yeah. I yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> Cause I remember Shannon was telling me uh, about um, a lot of these guys, and you know he was he was a camera guy, so they would come in. I remember he was saying he was sh- in the studio shooting photos of podcast. So I've been knowing, man. Me and Shannon have been friends since I was like eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. So we grew up together. Our mothers were friends. They used to play cards and backgammon when we were kids. Um, but Shannon' father is a photographer, mm-hmm. so yep. like when we used to go to the house, his father had a dark room and. You know, like the old school lines with pictures hanging through. You had, you had to duck through to even just walk or navigate through the house. But, dude, Shannon has been on the road with everybody. Like, he mm-hmm. is really, like, well-known for, like, he's been on the road with um, Pastor Troy, uh, John Legend, uh, Lil John and the East Side Boys. Uh, and just, that's just a few. So, just understanding how he moves and what he does and who he has access to, his ac- accessibility is through the roof. Then on top of that, his son is a little yachty. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's just now he's been open to, you know, a new generation of, you know, kids mm-hmm. or whatever. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. This is the Cross the Line Podcast. All right. Welcome back to the Cross the Line Podcast. So you know, we were talking a little bit about the entertainment industry and like organized noise and some of the guys that you met. So, what was your relationship like with Organized Noise? Um, so originally, Organized Noise was a group called the U Boys. Mm-hmm. Um, we probably got together ninety two, around ninety two, ninety three, right around in there. Um, I had known Rico for several years. He worked for my godbrother. Um, they owned the Plaza's uh, shop with a. Video store and a beauty supply store. So and then you know I I wasn't best dressed in in high school. Played basketball. I knew a lot of people. I mm-hmm. went to actually Lakeshore and MD Collins. So Lakeshore and MD when when Jermaine Dupri raps in Welcome to Atlanta, the Lakeshore MD rivalry. I went to both schools. I went mm-hmm. to Lakeshore two years and I transferred and went to MD. So I knew a lot of people. And if you really know about Atlanta. Most of the people who lived like in Southwest Atlanta in the mid '70s, they started moving south to uh, Washington Road, Camp Creek Parkway, Old National, Union City, out that way because people were migrating. Um, the upper middle class black people lived off Old National, off Godby Road, Camp Creek Parkway. Um, we had Dominique Wilkins lived in Camelot. Cito mm-hmm. Gaston was the first. Um, Black manager to win a World Series ring. He lived in our um, apartment complex. John Drew, who played for the Hawks, lived off Godby Road, and we lived in Southampton Court. So it was a flourishing area where, you know, upper black middle class, you know, people dwelled. So living in those areas, you know, we got to see a lot of people, a lot of things. Um, it was upper black middle class. So mm-hmm. it was definitely something to aspire to when you start seeing all these people with the money they were making, the cars they were driving, all that kind of right. stuff. Yeah. And did it feel like <clears throat> was one of y'all on, y'all felt kind of like somewhat, in a sense, like obligated to like look out for each other, like I'm on, I'm going to bring put my people on. Was it kind of like that kind of relationship no. with you? <laughs> Atlanta is kind of clickish. 
either, either you in or you ain't. But the other caveat to that was more so when you get yours, then we can holler. So mm-hmm. we knew we were six degrees of separation. I went to high school with Kevin Wells. I went to high school with Dallas Austin. Um, Jermaine Dupree lived down the road. So all Jermaine Dupree was already doing it. He had done the Fresh Fetch. He had done Silk Times Leather. He had done – he was doing crisscross. But he wasn't helping us. Um, mm. We knew him. We would see him out. But he wasn't helping us. Um, Dallas and them were doing ABC and all the other stuff. He started out with George Finderella Irby. Um with, who made um, was in Climax? Who made uh, okay. Mr. DJ? Okay, um, okay, I got. You. And I can't remember um, the Climax songs, but Meeting in the Ladies' Room, I believe, something like that. Mm. So they had a lot of hits in the um, early '80s. So we all knew each other and were cool and talked. And we used to hang out at what was called it initially was called Greenbrier Skating Rink, then it became Jelly Beans, which was the inspiration for. Um, ATL. Oh, okay. I got you. Um, so <clears throat> we had all of that going on. So Rico built us a studio in a office suite next to the skating rink. And that's where we started recording. It seemed like Rico was like the guy. Like He the, was the guy. And Re- I think Shannon told me, if I'm not mistaken, that Re- Future, Rico is Future's uncle or some, something like that. Or they they related some kind of way or... He was up on them some kind of way. He well, they were they. I got pictures of Future before Future was even signed. This is when Bubba Sparks was hot. Like so, yeah, I was oh, doing yeah. the Urban Early, Entertainment yeah. magazine then. So I was in the streets and used to see a lot of stuff. But I don't think Rico and Future are related. But Rico and Organized worked very early on because Future really? originally was signed to the God Brother that Rico worked for. Okay. So that was, I think, the initial connection. Okay. So, um, and I know Shannon, he, he he posted the pictures and everything. He was like, they knew him before Future really became the future we know exactly today. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Is that is that crazy to see like some of these artists that you saw like early on become these superstars? Like you knew you these guys had it had it in them, but then it's like the way they blew up to be like these superstars that they are. It's crazy. So much has I know so many people who. Or on TV, who, who's you know been platinum, multi platinum, numerous times over, Grammy winners and all that. I know these people. I've right. hung around these people. I've talked to these people. I've been in rooms with these people. Um, it's it's crazy. Uh, Escape. They were okay. they were coming about. So one of the mm-hmm. songs I actually wrote a song on Escape first album. I didn't get paid for it and I didn't get credit for it. Mm. But I originally wrote the song for the U Boys. It was a song called Tonight, and I wrote the song for men to sing to women. When I got kicked out of the group, one of the guys who took my place, this cat named Brandon, they rewrote the song for females to sing to a guy, but they kept the hook and all the ad-libs, but they changed the verses. Song was on a platinum, multi-platinum album. The song got placement, but mm. I never got paid. <laughs> so, oh man, was it just like not knowing the business at the time, or what? No, I got so the song was written before I got kicked out the group. Then I got kicked out the group, and then you know I'm not mad. I would mind getting some checks, exactly. But I think more so what happened, things started moving rather quickly, and 
nobody is sitting back saying, well, who wrote this when we did it? We need a song for a girl. Here goes, here right. goes a song. But it was written for this. And, you know, I wasn't around, so nobody's going to say, well, yeah, Troy wrote that song or whatever the case may be. So I think they just rewrote it and served it up. And they liked it and wanted it, and they ran with it. So um, maybe one day i get a check, but, you know, you never know. <laughs> just before we switch gears, can you talk a little bit about, like, how that Atlanta scene was back then? Because Atlanta has been – it seems like it's still – like the focal point we right haven't, now. We haven't cooled off. Yeah, it's still going. That's, that's that's 30 years. Exactly. Because I've been in education 28 years, and I did that like four or five years before I graduated college. So you're talking about for maybe 32 years, 33 years, we've been hot. Mm-hmm. And it's, ever since, you know, Dre stood on the stage at the Source Awards and said, Atlanta got something Talk, to say. Talk got something to say. We've know? been <laughs> we've been hot. Mm-hmm. So – Everything, in the words of the T-shirt, Atlanta influences everything. And it's still going. Now you, you got a little baby now. You got Yachty going right now. What I remember was um, me and Shannon talked about this was like the like the early 2000s, like old, like old, old 405 when Jeezy and Gucci, the that trap era. Yeah. That was one of the that. eras that we remember because I remember we talked about it. It's like, man, I remember if you wore that Snowman T-shirt to school, like they sending people home. Oh. Yeah, they was like – Either you're going to change it or we're going to send you home. home. But that was one of the, the eras, like, just growing up was, like, the Jeezy and T.I. and Gucci. Like, that era right there was, like, uh. We always running 4-5 deep easy. Mm-hmm. Like, we, you got Gunner. You got Lil Baby. You got Thug, Young Thug. You still got Future. Future. I'm like, so, still, yeah. I mean. I hate what's going on with. Those guys now with the yeah. Rico situation, yeah, that's, but yeah, that's a that's a bad situation. Yeah, but they Atlanta is still, still Re- quite relevant. Exactly. <laughs> so how long? So how long? So are you still kind of in the entertainment industry, or are you kind of like more towards like education now? Um. Well, if you call being an author the entertainment industry, um, mm-hmm. I got a close friend that. I build with him sometimes. He's a gospel guy. He does. He's won a couple of Grammys, um, or been nominated several times. And I know he's won at least one. Um, I I dibble and dabble, but not anything of any substance. You know, I kind of you know once initially I thought when I got kicked out of the group, I could still write and get back in it once I graduated. Because basically, my mom came and was like, "Look, man, you you need to go back to school, or you need to go in the military." Because, you know, I had been doing it for a few years. And she was like, you know, you need to make some money. Mm-hmm. So when I got kicked out of the group, it kind of didn't leave me an option. I'm like, well, I'm going to go on and graduate, finish that, and then I can always go back. But when you start working a real job, I can't hang out in the studio to 2, 3, 4 in the right, morning. Yeah. Just waiting to get a placement or somebody to throw me a crumb on a song or something along those lines. So... The reality is, you know, and they talk about, you know, pursuing your dreams. Are you willing to fall on the sword or die for it or, you know, whatever? Meaning you're going to go that extra mile. And trying to get up and be cognizant standing before 60, 70 children, because I taught health and PE. And when I started teaching, I would get the whole grade level. And the my friend who taught music, she would get one class. I would get like three, four classes. And I was teaching outside so it was it was a it was yeah. a whole different ball game 
So I had to readjust my priorities and say, okay, well, this is how, you know, I'm making money now. This is what is basically furnishing me with the life I'm living. Do I have the time? So I had I had another friend I grew up with, Dana um, Ramey. Dana Ramey was a producer who worked for Block Entertainment. He taught me how to DJ. We've been friends since we were like 12, 13 years old. Um, Dana Ramey used to work for Block Entertainment. He did Hood Nigga for Gorilla Zoe. Gorilla Zoe, okay. Um, which is a whole nother conversation. Um so he was very integral in working with Block Entertainment, Jody Breeze, all them cats. The boys in the hood. The boys in the yeah. hood, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So how did that, you know, getting ready to get, get into your book, how did, you know, being in the entertainment industry affect, like, like personal life for us, like relationships? Because I know, I would imagine, you know, being in the entertainment industry, you know, women are just always around. Like, how have, did that? I have fun. Yeah. <laughs> I got stories. <laughs> it, but it does. Here, here's what I found out. So when I, before, prior to me getting kicked out the group, we met with Pebbles. And when we went to go to to LaFace to meet, um, a, a lot of the guys were starstruck. That was L.A. LA Reed. Yeah. Okay. So Pebbles was beautiful, but I I had dated women of that level mm-hmm. in in my adult life. So I, I thought she was beautiful, but I wasn't like blown away. And again, my mother and my aunt, they were, as I talk about in the book, they were beautiful women. Like mm-hmm. they had suitors from every walk of life, athletes, entertainers, politicians, you know, people who made policy. So being, growing up, I used to dance with James Brown when I was a little boy. I, used to, I could sing, do all Michael Jackson. He used to give me bread to get up and do that at the house. So, mm. it, again, it's a very weird dynamic. Like like a Michael Jackson. I'm not saying I'm Michael Jackson, but you know how painfully shy he was. But he had people falling out crying when he performed and did stuff like that. So you almost become another person. But understanding that and going down that road, it makes you... A different person. It's almost like having, you know, split personalities or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, understanding that and going down that road, it it really changes how you interact with people. So, knowing that and then having the options that you have or that are presented to you, mm-hmm. it can be overwhelming. But if you're grounded and you know who you are and you know what you've been exposed to, then you handle it way, way better. It's like getting, we've been arguing about, uh, what's your girl name? Malika Andrews mm-hmm. on ESPN and, and how she's been in going the fire for going, all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, and she's yeah. very articulate. Beautiful she's too. super she's beautiful, intelligent, yeah. beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I think people are giving too much power too soon. Yeah. She's only 27. So she, she pays some dues, but... She got the number one lead in show for the NBA. Yep. So you you, you jumped that's, over some people. Yeah, that's a that's a so, big move, yeah. And she rode the wave of the Rachel Nichols and the Maria um Maria Taylor Taylor yeah. situation. And since Maria bounced and left and, and she went to Rachel, NBC and then yeah. Rachel so, Nichols is out and then oh. So having that experience where you're used to stuff, it kinda allows you to know how to handle it. And so 
being that I had been exposed to so many different people, so many different things as a youth, when I met Pebbles, I wasn't blown. But she took it as I was being arrogant. She she told them that I found out later that I was arrogant. And I'm like, no, I'm not arrogant. I'm just confident. Because we basically went in for an interview session, mm-hmm. and they was like, well, what you going to do with this or what you going to do after this? I'm like, I want to model, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. I got plans. Right. And I wanted to do music, but I wanted to do other stuff as well. And I was looking down the road, and I guess that came off as arrogance to her. And, you know, that was another thing since she thought I was arrogant, and then we had the falling out with the group. That's how I got kicked out of the group. Oh, man, that's tough. (laughs) Like, the entertainment industry got some... It's a... You you see a lot of artists now, they... I mean, it gives them the glitz and the glam, but they always talk about like how it's like a shady business, like some of the stuff that goes on, like behind the scenes. Some of it people, is, but some of the stuff that people don't some talk of about. It is. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things because they're selling a fantasy. Like when you hear the story, they don't give Rico the credit that he deserves, in my opinion. He put together our group, all the other groups we were working with. He put together TLC, but you hear about Pebbles and TLC. Um, even Ian Burke, Ian Burke was definitely, he was their first manager. I think he sold their contract to, um, Pebbles, but I've been knowing Ian Burke since I was a little in like eighth grade, but he's been very instrumental in the music industry in Atlanta. So I don't think he always gets enough credit. So obviously it's like the the pyramid thing I was talking about. The Mm -hmm. person who has the most prominence in society, they get the light, they get the credit. The people who are the underlings, they don't really get all the credit until they find their group or their niche to propel them into the next stratosphere, mm-hmm. and then they start getting. But they've been paddling like ducks underwater for the whole time. You just didn't know, you know, what they were doing because they remained anonymous. Absolutely. To me, those seem like the guys that you would want to, if you can, kind of like get next to it. Those are the ones you need to know. Those are like the power players to me because like the guys that don't get all the credit, like you said, like a Rico Wade, those are like the movers and the shakers that really like make things happen and, and put these guys he, he, on. Hey, he, he was very instrumental in <clears throat> the guiding force to a lot of stuff. Pat did the, most of the music initially, and then when they formed Organized, um, well, so what happened, we were in a we, we had the group U Boys. Mm-hmm. We were signed to a manager and he really wasn't doing that. Rico was doing everything. And I think I kind of caught this, I don't want to say it's hearsay, but like secondhand. Since I had got kicked out of the group, I wasn't getting firsthand information anymore. Mm-hmm. But when they got signed to the face, they didn't get signed, the U Boys broke up and they created Organized Noise. Organized Noise originally was a song that Pat did for a girl that he used to date that was in a girls group that was being produced by um, Joe Karn. Joe Karn was another dude that people don't even probably remember. His mother is Gene Karn, who was an R&B singer. Okay. And we used to go over his house and record because he had a studio and stuff. So he had a girls group that we started working with, and Pat was producing for them. And they had a song called Organized mm. Noise. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I was looking at it earlier, um... Organized noise, Sleepy Brown, Rico Wade, Big Ray Rube, Murray. Ray Murray. Yeah. So Big Rube is part of the Dungeon family. Organized noise was the production team. Okay. They did all the music. So, and I saw Sean Davis. 
It was a uh, it was a uh, online. It said uh, Sean Davis as well. It could have been something that somebody just threw out there. Well, was... the guy who took my place, who was a writer, was Brandon. Brandon. Okay. But I don't I don't know who Sean. I don't Sean personally Davis. know. I'm okay. not saying he wasn't part of it. I just don't know who he but is. Big Rube. Okay. Yeah. And my guy Troop. He he's a, a music artist from back back our way. Big Rube did like a uh, a intro on um his last project. Yeah. He, so he Big Rube was like um Society of Soul, mm-hmm. which was the group that Pat and the Dungeon family came up with that the organized members was in. So they had Pat, Big Rube, Rico was in the group. They had a girl singer. I don't know what her name was. Um, but, yeah, that was the society. So you had Society of Soul. You had, um, oh, my God, it was another band. They had another rap group that um, my man Maurice was in, Mo. Oh, my goodness, I cannot think of it. It's on the tip of my tongue. But they had they had a few they had a few, um, like Kawan Prather. Kawan Prather was in one of those groups. He uh-huh. big time in the music industry. KP, uh-huh. super big time. Like DJ, production, A&R, all of that. He major, major, major. Man, Atlanta's just a spot for just like. Bro, it feels like if you need to be, if you want to become an artist or you just kind of like, this needs to be like the place. Not saying you have to be in Atlanta to make it, but Atlanta, like you said, for so long, has been like the spot. If you really in the hist- in in the past, if you wanted to make, it, you had to go to L.A. or New York. Now we had bands that come out of Ohio, Philadelphia, places like that. But like, if you were really trying to make it in the entertainment industry, New York and L.A. were the only places to go. And then when Atlanta popped up, the eighties, then went into the nineties and the two thousands, and it's still and it's still popping, still going now. <laughs> Uh, I want to transition a little bit. <clears throat> I want to get into your to your book. Um, we spoke about your you know relationships and and everything like that. So insider dating. Talk a little bit about your process and like how long did it actually kind of take you to put together your book? Man, I started <clears throat> writing numerous books. So um, I have a history of writing. Obviously, I wrote songs when I was mm-hmm. in the group and while in school. Met a guy um, in high school. Uh, Mr. Richardson was my English teacher, and he told us, hey, we got to be double better. You know, you got to speak the King's English, and you got to be able to kick slang. Mm-hmm. That's where my passion for writing kind of was sparked. When I left Clark and had to go to AJC for two semesters or two quarters, I met a guy named Ojita Penn. Ojita Penn was a jazz musician and an English teacher at Atlanta Junior College. And he had a creative writing class that I took. And he was very ins- inspirational. And having that class really took me to the next level. Like he did like spoken word and all of that. So being in that class really, really, really propelled me into wanting to write and you know put down my ideas and my thoughts. Um, that led me to... Um, doing the magazine, which I did um, for three or four years. I wrote pretty much all the articles, um, the reviews. So we reviewed songs, CDs at the time, albums, um, restaurants, mm-hmm. anything that was hot in Atlanta. Um, so I wrote the first story on the affiliates, which was Don Cannon, DJ Drama. DJ Jamar uh, is who I can remember earlier. DJ Jamar. And um, DJ Sense. So the, they were cats who went to Clark who were in the Super Friends. They left the Super Friends 
and started the affiliates. Wrote the first story on them. Um, That's what you were saying before we started, how you got a little bit of pushback from those guys? Well, originally, I think they didn't want... I don't know if they had contractual obligations or whatever the case was, but when I came to do the story on them, it was supposed to be about the Super Friends and them being um, like DJs, mixtape DJs. Mm -hmm. So I even talked about like um, some of the pioneers, Jam Pony Express from Florida, um, DJ Dana, who I said, the guy who worked with um, Block Entertainment and Boys in the Hood, he was a um, mixtape DJ. Um, so it was a lot of things that kind of brought that story together. So when I got there and they was like, hey, man, we got something to tell you. And I was like, what? Like, we not into Super Friends no more. And I'm like, well, man, I just need a story. I'm getting ready to go to press. Did the story. And then they came back and was like, no, you can't print that. And I'm like, dude, this is already printed. <laughs> so that kind of, you know, started um, that whole process. But a lot of the stuff, man, in Atlanta, one of the hubs of Atlanta was Marco's Peter. And Marco is a cat from Detroit that um, opened this restaurant of Ponce de Leon. And anybody who came to Atlanta and wanted to party or have a good time or anything, celebrities, regular people, everybody kind of would meet up and hang out at Marco's Peter. And um, he used to DJ parties, throw parties. Um, He's worked with um, Jay Carter from One Music Fest. For the last 15 years, they've you know been doing events and things. That's kind of Soul Fusion started. Now you got One Music Fest, which is international now. People come all over the world to Atlanta for that festival. And it's a really, really powerful entity because they bring the best of the best. The shows are immaculate. The entertainment is off the charts. And then they bring newcomers, old-timers, everybody. And it's just, well, you just come and have a good time and party. So... Mm-hmm. It's so much going on here, man. So many people who, even if they're not from here, they came here and made their name. Made a name for yeah. themselves. Mm. With your book, because there's a lot of stuff in it, like I told you. I really enjoy the book. It's a <laughs> lot of a lot of gems. And it feels like almost kind of like a cheat code in a sense. Did you worry about, I guess, maybe men, when they read it, calling you like a sellout or, man, like, man, you ratting us out? Or did you worry about people coming at you from that? Since? Not really, because um, I'm not giving any secrets. So right. the even the title of the book is called Insider Dating. It's it's almost a double entendre because I stole the idea from insider trading, like the stock market. Mm-hmm. So women always look at situations and they come to other guys like big homie, uncles, people like big brothers, stuff like that. Like, hey, man, I want the inside scoop. Like, what's the way to a man's heart? Well... The way to a man's heart, there is no absolute way, you know. Right. What's the way to your heart? Like, who are you? Mm-hmm. And so when I sat down and started playing with it, the thing that sparked me, um, I read an article. This guy was dying. He was terminally ill. He wrote a manual for his son and daughter. He had like six months to live, something along those lines. He had cancer. And he wanted to leave that manual for his kids in lieu of him being there. So he sat down and wrote a book for his daughter and for his son. So in lieu of him being there, they could always access the book to go back and get knowledge from their father. But he's not there. Dude, it touched me in a 
I can't even explain. I obviously my personal upbringing with my dad being absentee, and my commitment to my kids, it touched me crazy in a crazy way. So I said, well, man, I want to do that for my kids. So originally this book started out as just like a memoir for my daughter, like just. So I had the pleasure to entertain a few ladies in my time and, mm-hmm. and hang out and have a good time and have those experiences. So I'm like, all of my friends had children before me. They had kids like 19, 20, early 20s. I didn't have my first child at 33. Okay. It went from, for a lack of trying. But uh, <laughs> I wasn't blessed with one until 33. So um, I wanted my daughter, I would tell my friends, like, why are you going to put your kid up on game? Like, you right, got a yeah. daughter. So why would you send your child out there and, and, and not equip them with the tools they need to survive? So my I had a little running game with my kids. I would tell my daughter, I'm going to teach you the game. And I would tell my son, I'm going to teach you the loopholes of the game. So in starting to write the book, you know, I just really started going back. And so I work in education. So the education is a field that's filled with women, young women. So being the big homie, I would talk to women and, and, and see the mistakes and the errors of their ways. And I'm like, yo, man, that's a better way to do it than this. And so yeah. seeing that up close and personal, um, I'm like, man, I don't want my daughter to go through that. Yeah. So I just started jotting down thoughts, ideas, and, you know, putting it in. I started saying, you know, well, it has to be me. So I have to, you know, put my own stories anecdotes and then I wanted to, it to be informative so then I started doing research like articles and stuff and basically it just started coming together and it, it probably took off and on five years five yeah what happened COVID hit and that's um, when I finally finished my book yeah, mine was about two and a half three years and, and that's when yeah when, when I finished mine COVID hit um, I hit um, Jay Carter up. I'm like, look, man, I'm trying to finish this book. Who you know can help me finish this book? He put me on to Steve Canal. Steve Canal is out of Louisiana. His his boy is AJ Joyner. Um, his wife is Swin Cash, played in WNBA in NBA, yep. on TV and mm-hmm. all that. So I hit Steve up. Steve gave me AJ's number. I hit AJ up, chopped it up with him. He was doing a workshop, book writing workshop. And we linked and we chopped it up. And he was very inspirational, and he had a group, and I got with this group of people who were writing their stuff. So my book was, I probably had about four chapters that I need to finish um, that weren't done yet at all, and then I had a couple of more I had to build out. And that really sparked me down the, the last, you know, tenth of the book and got me to the finish line. And I had several other people to help me along the way, uh, Ada Gardner, uh, my girl Valisa uh, Wearing. It was a lot. It was a lot of people who helped mm-hmm. down the backstretch, but AJ Joyner kind of sparked me and, and pushed me along. And as the rest, as they say, is history. So the book, it really, it was made to inform people and help people. I really want to help people because I see the errors of their ways. I don't. I'm not saying I'm perfect, and I don't want to be judgmental. But I see a lot of the mistakes. Most people' mistakes are they don't work on themselves. Happiness mm-hmm. is an inside job. So mm-hmm. if you're unhappy with yourself, you will never be nobody. happy with somebody exactly. else. So if I'm looking for love and I have an idealistic philosophy, 
Well, there's no such thing as ideal. We have to deal in realism, and that's one of the major differences between men and women. Men deal in realism, women deal in idealism. So that's the old adage, mm -hmm. men are from Mars, women are from Venus. So, you, okay, I was going to say, you had a point in there when you talk about like the mistakes and everything. You were very open about it in the beginning of the book where you was like, you you know, you had a failed marriage and you talk about yourself and Steve Harvey coming from failed relationships and you said people may not want to, may look at you guys like, why are we taking advice from you about relationships when you, you know, you failed at a marriage or however people look at it. Why do you think it's important, you know, like, I know you explained it in the book, but, like, why do you think it's important as well to, to, to like, kind of listen to what you guys have to say? Because um, I, I think it's very valuable, you know, yeah, regardless. definitely. I saw a meme the other day. Albert Einstein was in a class, and he wrote um, the timetables, the multiples of nine on the board. He did all of them, to, I think, to 12. And in one of them, he purposely put it up there incorrectly. When he did it, the class started laughing. So he's like, what y'all laughing at? And they're like, you, you got, got this one wrong. He said, but I got a 10 or 11 other ones right. So we live in a society where you can make one mistake and you get judged for it or you get clowned for it. Whereas you're not understanding that when people come with experience, they can teach you teach what we you. said, that word, wisdom. You get mm -hmm. wisdom through yep. your experiences if you lose, it's okay to lose. So we teach people, no, nah, you shouldn't lose. No, there are lessons in losing. So if you've been married before and you figure out your process, you can share that process with somebody else. Mm -hmm. That's like one of the whole things with being a parent. You share with your children the potholes of life or the mistakes that you've made in hopes so they don't make that they mistakes. don't make the same mistakes. So in the in the spirit of that, that's how the book came about because my first marriage, she was a great woman. I was immature. I was not ready to be married. And then technically I got married for the wrong reason. I got married trying to vanquish the ghost of my father and what he didn't do. And I said I would never not be there for my kids. So I probably should have never married her because we were two totally different people. I was, again, very immature because I was trying to get mine, you know, mm -hmm. in every aspect of life. So it wasn't a good situation. She was a very sweet girl, but it, it, it the timing was just terrible. Mm -hmm. Terrible. You had this, uh, this line in the book where you talk about relationships versus, versus relationships. Yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about that and break that down because I thought it was very valuable. Um, well. So one of my best friends, Best friends growing up, his brother is a is a wordsmith. And when I used to do a lot of poetry, we used to let each other read each other's poems and share, you know, our stuff. So we got into a deep conversation one day, and um, I was talking about relationships. And he was like, man, you can't use that word. And I'm like, well, I can't use that word. He was like, because in the very essence of that word, it has the word shun, shun. which tells you to shun relations. And when you really look at a large, it, the divorce rate is over 52, 53% for first marriages. Second marriages is over 60%. Third marriages is 70%. So right oh, there, yeah, if I use the analogy in the book, if you got in an airplane, they say, okay, we jumping out. 
and we're going to skydive. And they tell you it's a 50, 60, 70% chance that your parachute is not going to open. How many people would actually jump out the plane? But people get married every day. So when you look at marriage, people get married for different reasons. We get married, but we might not have the same agenda. I might be getting married for security. I might be getting married because you're on peace. Uh, we might be getting married because you got pregnant. There are so many different variables to why people get married. Unfortunately, people don't reveal themselves to the other person. So like even in relationships, I made a post the other day on my Instagram. The game, people always talk about putting people up on game. The game is I meet you. I have an agenda. We both have an agenda. The game is who gets their agenda first. Mm -hmm. Their agenda's met first. Once I get my agenda met, what's next? Did we develop rapport? Do I like you? You know, how is this relationship going to be beneficial to my growth, my progress? You know, are you somebody that I even want to spend time with? So I think growing up without a man in my life and me having to figure it out on my own, a lot of times you make mistakes. I would probably go back and do it over. I'm talking to my son right now like, I know I did this and I talked to you about these things that I did, but I don't want that life for you. Mm-hmm. I want you to focus on your energy on, he he's a basketball player, he plays baseball, he's an athlete, he does uh, shot put and discus, and he's a pretty good, he's a good kid and he's a good athlete. Mm-hmm. Focus on, I didn't have nobody to direct me and point my energies in the right direction. I was out there winging it. So you have me as a resource. I want to make sure I guide you in the right direction. You will never lose women chasing money, but you will lose money chasing women. So if you understand that and you do that in your 20s and 30s, guess what? When you hit 35, they'll be there. Please believe. Mm -hmm. And now you're more accomplished. You got more bread. You got a plan. You got an understanding. I don't think men should have kids or get married before 35. Man, I feel like you're reading my mind because I was going to ask you something about that. Like, what would you say is like a point? Because it's like, as men, you know, they they always say women mature quicker than men. They do. And we we have so much that we have to go through and we we do a lot. But, um, and and then now... There are men that are ready at an earlier age. There are. That. They're, but but like, they're outliers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. Because I'm 30 right now, and I'm still like, man, like everybody that I hang with, just being honest, all my boys are married. They're great fathers, great husbands. But to me, I'm still like, man, I well, don't know if I'm quite ready just yet. I'm going to tell and you. I'm not going to force myself. What's the difference? Anyway. In many instances, people who are aspirational, who want more than just to go to work and come back home. They typically would do better if they married later because you're trying mm-hmm. to get the bag. Yeah. You're chasing the bag. So if you're chasing the bag, something has to give. Your family life, mm-hmm. your fatherhood. Because if I'm chasing the bag, I might miss birthdays. I might miss. Yeah. You look at the cats in the league. Unless you just fly your child with you or you go that extra mile to make sure your children are with you. If you're doing stuff that it requires you to be away from your family, 
That's a major yeah. hit. And my mentor always told me, you you can't be normal and great at the same time. Mm-mm. And even when you look at, I remember Shannon Sharp said on TV, he said, at times he may not have been the best uh, father or brother because he was so busy trying to be great at his craft, which he turned into a Hall of Fame and one of the best receiver, tight ends ever. But it was like, when, you, when you're so committed to your craft or what you want to do, at times you may lack in other areas. You are. So you can't be everywhere at the, at the yeah. same time. You can't do everything at the same time. So something has to give. Yeah, and that's why I, I honestly I, I struggle with it because I'm like, man, even with my daughter's mom, we 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 we're on great terms, but at times I'm like, you know, I'm going after this whatever I want. I want to be successful. I'm going after my dreams. So yes, I want to give y'all everything, but at the same time, man, I got to go out. And get it, man. I, I don't want us to just settle for like just the the nine to five, and then you coming home, spend time with your kids. I, I mean, I want to spend time with my kids. It's just you know nine to five, then your kids. You 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 don't what time have a do meal. you have left for the dream? Exactly. You and then you it's you, hard. Re, you repeat the same cycle the next day. You got to go go to work, get off, sit in traffic. You go pick the kids up, take them to their daily activities, go home, feed them, give them a bath. They go to bed, then you wake up and do the same thing again over and over and over. And I'm like, it's nothing wrong with that, but That's what, I feel that like was, it's so much more for me, and I don't want to just settle for just doing that all every day for the next 18 years until they get grown. And, and then even then, after that, you're still going to take care of your kids and be there for them. Mm-hmm. But it's like I still feel like it's more to strive for, and I'm not knocking anybody that's, that's doing that. But for me, I just like it's uh, something more to it. It's a, real, it's a dilemma for black men. If you yeah. really look at, if you're a black man and you have a child early, that cripples your rest of your life. Not necessarily in a negative sense, but it makes it harder for you to be successful. Yeah. So like, you, 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 you have a baby as a teenager, right? You got to take care of that kid. Yeah. So what skills do you have? You in, you in high school, you got to graduate. Lord forbid you're a good athlete. Do you go to college or do you stay home because your kid is here? That's a decision you have to make. So a lot of guys who may not be athletes or super intelligent or whatever the case may be, they decide, I'm going to sell dope. I'm going to rob because I got to feed this kid. Mm -hmm. So guess what? You catch a bid. Killer Mike uh, on a talk show talked about this. He was like, that starts you on a path to destruction because you had the baby. Now you got to take care of it. You got a girl, nine times out of ten, she's immature. Her parents, he lazy, he's sorry. So she in your ear. I need mm-hmm. you to take care of this baby. So now you're trying to figure out how I'm going to take care of this baby. I don't have no skills. I'm not marketable. I don't have a college degree. How am I going to get a job to take care of family? I'm going to sell dope. I'm going to rob and steal. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do whatever I got to do, hook a crook. But nine times out of ten, I'm going to end up in prison. Now I got a case. Now I got a record. Now yeah. I'm not with my kid. Yeah, now my kid is being raised by somebody else, if yeah. at all. And it's just the vicious cycle that we get caught up in. So science has shown, as you stated, women are more mature, right? What do most men talk about? Most men talk about women not wanting to acquiesce or submit. Mm-hmm. Well, the Muslims, I did a show on this on one of my videos talked about the seven-year rule. The seven-year rule is half your age plus seven. That's what they say in the Muslim faith. When you find your wife, she should fit this formula. Half your age plus seven. So if you're 25, if you're 50, and 
uh, half your age is 25 plus 7, 32. she should be 32. What that mm. gives you automatically built into the equation is she's going to respect you simply because of the age disparity. You have age, wisdom, experiences. You're going to have more than she does. Here's what happens. Most of the time, like people don't understand the dog syndrome. Why do men become dogs? Typically because they get hurt early. Why? Because men are taught to sow oats. Where women are taught, keep it safe until you find the guy. So it's mm-hmm. already a disparity into how men and women look at relationships and how they start relationships. So inherently, women come into relationships with less experience. Because they've been told they'll get a boyfriend in 10th grade and have him the whole time. unless the High school sweetheart uh, or whatever, yeah. Unless yeah. he's just a dog or no mm-hmm. good dude, right? So when you talk about that, men are getting their, their numbers up. But fact. what happens when they get hurt, when that one hurts them, nobody else will ever hurt me again. So I got 10, 12 good years left of me that I'm – I'm running through yeah, them and I'm getting dog, even. Yeah. And that is what creates the dynamic that we have in society. So in writing the book, I knew that and understood that phenomena. So I was like, well, man, I got to, you know, play that up and make sure I talk about that because most people miss that, you know. And when you miss it, it's hard for you to catch it in the end. So. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. You you had a quote in a line in the book also, and that was that I that I really like. Um, I want you to break this down. You said the problem is everyone is looking for unconditional love while carrying a bag full of conditions. Can you can you break that down a little bit? The most selfless thing you will ever do outside of being a parent is to nurture and maintain a successful relationship. You have to be willing to give. It's cyclical. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you might have to give at some juncture. Um, the other party in the marriage may have to give. But if you're not willing to give, so people have all these things that they list that they want in a marriage. You know, what uh, Kevin Samuel say, I want six feet, six figures, six pack, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what are you bringing to the table? So you have all these conditions that you want met, but are you meeting them as well? And when you start looking at yourself in the mirror, that's why in, in one of the, I think chapter three, we do, it's called self-evaluation because it talks to you about doing a checklist of yourself, your mental, your physical, mm-hmm. all of that, you know, your career. You do all of those things because what people don't understand, when you get married, the marriage is hard because marriage is the equivalent of trying to land a fighter jet in tsunami hurricane winds on a carrier. That sounds hard. Because here's the thing. You got so you think about it, when you're married, you got your health, you got your career, you got your kids, Kids. you got your family, Mm -hmm. you got your dreams and aspirations. Those that's just five things right there. We ain't talking about you lost your job. We ain't talking about you got cancer. We ain't talking about your mama died. Or all the other things that come into play. So mm-hmm. you're trying to do all of that. And that other person has those same types same of thing. things going on simultaneously. And y'all trying to merge it together. bro. that's chaos. That's a so lot. So if you're not committed to the act or the thoughts or the spirit of, you're not going to win. Yeah. And see, most people go into it not understanding that. You don't know what you don't know. Like my wife yeah. moved to Louisiana. 
we sat down. We're very communicative people. So we had all kinds of conversations. You know, we got a five-year plan. We're going to do it like this. Um, you know, we're going to see each other this much. You know, all that. We worked all that stuff out. But then stuff started to happen that we didn't plan we for because we didn't yeah. know. And so what happened, She, we had a five-year plan. She made, she went down there as a dean. She made principal in three years. So I was like, well, man, we had a five-year plan going to stay. You might make a, a higher grade, you know, you, two more years. Mm -hmm. Well, she was doing well. COVID hit. She was supposed to get a job and had all the accolades, the references, certification, everything that she needed to move to the next level. So they're in their company, it's like an area superintendent. They call them DSQs. She had everything she needed but test scores. But during COVID, they weren't doing test scores. Mm -hmm. So her boss was grooming her to take his position. Well, at some juncture, something happened in the company and, and he left. So they had to hire a new person for his job. Well, she was supposed to be getting a job because she was going to test in the spring job. and get her test scores and then in the summer get the, job. get the job. Well, guess what? They hired somebody else. So that put our whole relationship in a spiral because we were getting our house renovated. She came back and she was like, well, <laughs> babe, I don't think I'm going to be able to come back because I don't want to leave the company. So I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? We renovating the house. You were going to come back. We were going to either rent the house out or sell it. We, we were going to decide based on, you know, how things, you know, flowed or whatever. Mm -hmm. well, that didn't happen like that. So that kind of threw us in a tailspin and we had to try to figure it out. So you can't plan for things that are unforeseen. And if you don't have somebody or you haven't grown up in a family that has navigated that, like your mother and father was married X amount of years and you got to see a loving I never had that. Like, my father was never there. My mom married my stepdad. They stayed married until I was 15, but they were probably on, we was in the same house maybe three, four years. So, hmm. you don't get to see what that looks like, what that feels like, how it impacts your life. It changes you because why should I be committed to something I don't even know what it is? Mm hmm so and, and you you said that in the book also it's like when you, when you're with somebody you you have to want as much for that person if not more if you're gonna try to you know make it work that's if you understand what love is love supposed is, to be right. I mean you got all kinds of love, but real love is agape love, so like when you talk about agape love that's the, that's the love that God has for man well that's unconditional, so right. typically who do you have unconditional love for? Your children. your children, unless your child is just a major, they got to be something terrible. terrible. Exactly. <laughs> but how many people have that type of love for their husband, their wife, their right. significant other? Not many, because if you do one thing wrong, I'm out of here. Yeah. Divorce. So if you've been married 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, you done been through some stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And I would imagine. You know, you've had to recover and bounce back. And marriage is not easy, bro. I, I, I try to tell them when I use that analogy, if you can close your eyes and you fly in a jet and it's torrential rains and you're on an aircraft carrier trying to land it, that's damn near impossible. So 
It is possible, but you have to be experienced. You got to have will, determination, all the skills that foster um, positivity and uh, stick-to-itiveness. You got to have all of those things to make it through those tough times. And if you don't, if you waver at all, you are not. (laughs) The mission will not be complete. So by that age where you were talking about 35, you feel like at that point it's men. Of course, eventually you should want to just... Chill anyway with, with you know all I guess for some people anyway, but at that point you may feel like at thirty five we're kinda like, okay, now it's time. You've sold oats, you right. you have yeah. some experiences, you can kinda say no to stuff. Here's the thing. Most uh, so it's a video going around with me and my man, the social media bachelor, and we have this conversation and we talk about if you were a high profile guy. So he was a quarterback in high school, he went to Virginia State. So, you know, you quarterbacks live a little bit different life yeah, than regular guys. Oh, if you yeah. was the starting quarterback. So, in the video, he says, yeah, man, I had Chris Brown numbers. Run it. First Chris Brown album numbers. <laughs> right? So, understanding that if at 23, 24, 25, you had Chris Brown numbers, that's a lot of experiences. you right? And lot. then getting to 35, that ain't going to taper off that much. Only if you want it to. Yeah. So those experiences lead you to be able to say, no, nah, I don't need that. You probably had a threesome. You probably, you know, dated a white chick or Latino or Asian chick. All of those experiences allow you to say, I had that. I don't have to do that. But you've never mm-hmm. done that. Guess what? You always want for that. Oh, yeah. So if you don't have those experiences, you don't have anything to pull from. If you do have those experiences... You know, you can you can kind of say after a while. Now, some people never get there. And mm-hmm. a lot of that has impact on how they were raised. I talk about it in the book. Um, your affinity for your mom or the lack of a relationship mm-hmm. or connection with your mom. I, so when I was a little boy, I loved my mom. I thought my mom was beautiful. Red bone, baby hair, the whole nine, fly. All kind of folks was trying to holler. I saw that, and I was super jealous as a little boy. But she was a beautiful woman. So when I started dating, guess what I dated? I dated women look like my mom. Like your mom. And, you know, I dated, you know, all women from, you know, all complexions, heights. They're all different kind of things. But I had a special place in my heart for women who looked like my mama because I thought she was a beautiful woman. What helped me to be more well-rounded, my mom was light-skinned. My aunt was brown. My oldest aunt was brown skinned, who was like one of the flyest women I knew. Every mm-hmm. fashion, anything that was hot, she was wearing it. And then my youngest aunt was beautiful. Chocolate, baby hair. My grandma was super dark skinned with, with baby hair. Um, you know, they said we had Indian in the family. So, um, you know, having access to beautiful women from different shades, I never once. Um, like pigeonhole myself. Right. Then the other part of that was until I moved back to Atlanta in the sixth grade, I was a minority. I went to predominantly white schools. When I was in Texas, it was three black people in the whole school, and I was one of those three. So mm. it was the first girl I ever kissed was a redhead ginger. Mm. Me and her brother was friends. I was in the fifth grade. She was in the eighth grade. So I was a G a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> I had early, 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 early uh practice. Eighth grade, I was in the fifth grade, and me and her brother was best friends. So 
that's what really opened my eyes and exposed me to girls of all kinds. Then, you know, growing up in the 70s, it wasn't a whole, whole lot of, you know, black women on TV. So you had Farrah Fawcett, you had the Charlie's Angels, that whole. Mm-hmm. It was about three black women on TV. You had Jane Kennedy, who was on NFL. You had Pam Grill was in all the black exploitation movies. You had Foxy Diane Carroll, who was like the epitome of luxury and class. She played, you know, very high class roles. And then you had some people that you might knew their name or their face. Uh, you know, Walona and uh old girl, uh Thelma, uh, Thelma from Good Times. Good time, yeah. She was beautiful too. Man, oh my was, God. Yeah. So those are the things that shaped who you like, what you like. And Obviously, growing up in the 70s and 80s, this is before rap hit, so we were more well-rounded because we listened to rock music, country, because they didn't have hip-hop on the radio. So you had to be more well-rounded and diverse, and it made you a better person, and you had more of an appreciation for other cultures because you were exposed to them. I got a few more questions, and then we got to get ready to wrap it up, man. It's, I had so many questions and about the book, man. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed this conversation, man. Um when you talk about um, love in the book, and you gave a, uh, the definition of the abbreviation of letting others vo- voluntarily evolve, what would you say is your definition of love? I, that is. So, is that when my wife came to me and was say, Hey, I want to take this job? The old me was like, Oh, hell no. Like, how, how are we going to do this? Mm-hmm. I couldn't. If I truly loved her and she told me this was her dream, I couldn't stand in her way and not say I love. So most people, when they talk about love, it's always you can't do this or what about me or how it impacts them. Real love is I allow you to be who you are. So when um, I started dating my wife, she told me, she said, look, this is obviously before she was my wife. She said, I'm going to let you be you. I know who you are. As long as you treat me right and good, do you know, do good by me, we good. Nobody had ever told me that before. You know, most people were all restrictive. Mm-hmm. I'm a guy, if me and you meet and we sit down and make the rules, if you say, okay, in the beginning, okay, I'm going to date other people. Okay, if that's the rules, that's the rules. I have problems when the rules change. Like if we right. get into the situation, then you say, well, now, nah. once I get comfortable I want to stay in my yeah. comfort zone. But if we start out, I used to date a girl. I used to go to her crib. I had a key. She would go out on dates, everything. I'd be at the crib waiting for her to get home from her dates and have have our time. You want to go out on dates? Knock yourself out. If we set the rules up, I'm cool with that. So people don't understand it's always restrictive love. You can't do this. You can't talk to this person. You can't go here. So in in evolving and becoming more mature, when she came to me and was like, I want to do this. I'm not going to be able to do it working for this system. I'm only going to be able to do it if I go with this company. However, this job is here. My initial thought was hell no. Right. I thought about it. And came back and I was like, if I say I love you, I got to support you. I got to allow you to pursue your dream. And our relationship is going to be whatever we make it. Mm -hmm. Whether we succeed or fail, it's going to be what we allow to take place and go from there. 
that made me think about um the new the new the remake of Fresh Prince um the new one called Bel Air mm-hmm. and uh, one of the episodes um Vivian was uh you know she she liked to paint she was like an artist on there and uh she said you know people ask her, like what happened you like you remember you you were such a great artist and you painted all these beautiful pictures and then she was talking about you know she got married and had kids and she felt like she started to you know put things on hold and then Uncle Phil he was running for um running for the um sheriff or something in in in, in the town, so she did everything to support him, and she was kind of like she had to put everything on the back burner and just get behind him. So she had to, you know, kind of put her dreams on hold. And and to a certain, maybe like a small certain degree, she kind of like resented him just a little yeah, bit because people... she had to push put everything on hold for the kids and hold down the family while he went out and did everything that he wanted to do. That's much. so. That's pretty much if. You tell me this is your dream, and I tell you you can't do this. You'll stay, and we might be all right for a little while. But down the road, when you start having them thoughts, and you spending time alone, and you going back, looking back at your life, and thinking about what could have been, and you're saying, "This joker kept me from my dream," mm-hmm. and now I'm still not saying you couldn't still get to your dream. Maybe you had to go, you know, round two eighty five. It might take a little bit to longer to get there. But... So. But you're still going to harbor ill will to the person who kept you from doing it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want that for right. us. So I was like, man, I'm going to have to turn it loose. Everybody like, oh, man, you crazy. You tripping. And, I mean, it's been hard. She's She's been gone eight years. So mm. who? luckily I'm not who I used to be. <laughs> uh, so we've yeah. been able to do it and do it righteously. <clears throat> if I'd have been who I was prior to us, oh, it would have never worked. I'd have been off the chain. <laughs> I think uh, one of my, for me, it's just uh, I could do it. I don't want, like you say, it's got to be like an understanding at the beginning. Like, and I don't want to have to change things because one of my, my one of my best friends he said the same thing. He's like, man, as long as you could be yourself, and when you get y'all get married, things don't change. Y'all have an understanding, then it's cool, like you said. But when you get, you settle down, and then you push the goalposts even further and change things. That's when the problem comes in. Because for me, I was like, man, I still want to be able to, you know, hang with my friends and get out from time to time. Because I'm not going to do you the same way. Tell you, no, you can't hang with them. Like, go enjoy yourself. Like, as long as we can still enjoy our time together and apart. I mean, don't go overboard and do anything crazy now, yeah. unless there's be something re- that respectful. y'all, yeah, respectful. Unless there's something that whoever agreed on. But I wouldn't agree to that. But well, most of the time I tell young couples, look, make your own rules. Mm-hmm. Like the rules that govern, there are some foundational things that you can look at of people who have been successful in relationships and you can mirror and copy some of those things. But you have to tailor make your relationship to your specific needs, wants, desires, and everything else that goes on in your life. And if you do it based on what your parents did or Whatever, like one a girl when we did the show and we were talking about the seven year rule, and she was like, "I disagree with that." My grandparents been married for fifty years. I said, "Well, fifty years ago was the sixties. That's times way different. Times we don't even court the same. Or <laughs> dating ain't the same. You got OnlyFans. You got uh, uh, what was Ashley like, Madison? You got all kind like of crazy stuff. Tinder, Tinder, all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, it life." 
is not the same. So we can't play by the same rules. We can adopt some of the things, but it still needs to be brought up to speed <laughs> in current times. And if you think, again, I'm not saying, I don't deal in absolutes. So am I saying if you get married at 21, unequivocally your relationship will not be successful? Absolutely mm. not. I know what I was doing at 21. Me too. Um, and that's what's I so, definitely wasn't ready. And that's what's so crazy about relationships. When I was 21, nigga, I was trying to get mine. I wasn't worried about exactly. what she would get. I yeah. hope you get yours. <laughs> I hope we get there at the same time. But in growing and very distinctly at about 22, 23, me and my friend, one of my best friends, James Powell, we had gone through some things. He he had a kid, and we started talking about our maturation, maturation process mm-hmm. and wanting to be better. Um, we started talking about breaking the cycle. Um, obviously, he knew you know, about my dad and my situation, but we were just seeing we weren't supposed to live to see 25. So, you know, when you're not supposed to live, you wilding out because we ain't supposed to see tomorrow. So right. when you start having a good time, but then you start moving closer to when you're not supposed to be here, now reality starts to say, that, okay, I'm here. Well, what am I going to do now? You know, I wasn't supposed to be here. But I am. And people don't really understand the underlying energy and power of that when you start talking about black youth, black men, and how it impacts our culture, our families, and basically the rest of our lives. So it's a very, very powerful thing to understand that. So knowing that we were very intentional about working on being better men. Now, that didn't stop us from running the streets and getting our numbers up. Mm-hmm. but we were intentional about how we did it. So it was certain women I wouldn't date because I'm like, if something does happen, I need her to be able to be a mother. She has to be respectable. She has to do this, 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 and this, as opposed to, and I've always really been like that. I got a friend who, he was like, man, they used to bring chicks from the city to the suburbs because we grew up in College Park. And one of my best friends used to live in the city. So they used to bring girls from the city. They was a little faster. Knew a little bit more, and I'm not. Nah, I'm not. No, nah, I'm not interested. And like, man, you so picky. I just like what I like. Right. I ain't saying what I like is the best. That's just but your what's important is what I like. And what I've one of the major arguments that men have with women, it's okay for women to have preferences. He got to be tall, dark, and handsome. But let a man say he like whatever he like. Man, you oh, tripping? Exactly. So. It's so many things that are unfair. That's a whole nother interview conversation. Mm-hmm. But it's but society has been set up like that, and it causes problems. And basically, in in today's current situation in society, men are drawing their lines over here, women are drawing their lines over here, and nobody is really listening to each other. So when I wrote the book, I'm an advocate for men first because I'm a black man. I know how hard it is to be a black man on this planet. I want us to succeed. But I also understand the importance of the woman. Women have a role. Men have a role. If you have, if you become a good person and then you look for that in another person and y'all merge and come together, you're going to have a stronger family. If we build stronger families, we're going to build stronger communities. We build stronger communities so on and so forth mm-hmm. and that was one of the missions behind writing the book i want people to work towards being happy being better people and the ultimate goal is making 
better decisions because ultimately if you know how to make good decisions it basically carries you through life if i know if i make a good decision with work school who i hang around all of those things if i do that well why i can't make decisions in every other aspect of life right should we be as we get ready to wrap it up should we be just just straight up on both sides as men and women just uh just straight up about what we want from the other person hey that's that's i think we... it would be i mean it's a, i think it would be a great thing to just be straight up but you know as far as whether you just want one thing or you just want sex you want a, something long term should just overall people just be straight up about exactly what they want just put it out there on the table that's always been who I, so I, again i work at the school one day, I posed a question to a group of females at work. I said, would you rather a guy offer you $200 just for sex, or would you want him to spend $200 on a date? Which is supposed to technically, he's hoping it leads to sex. So everybody was kind of just standing around like, like I had asked them, you know, Pythagorean theorem or something. I'm like, it ain't that hard. Right. Like, what's your <laughs> preference? Do you want to do the, because... If in the book I talk about men want sex, I say yeah. 80, 80 to eighty five. It's some outliers out there, but if a man is attracted to you and you're not his cousin, first cousin, sister, want to get it in, or some major family member, I'm trying to you know yes, see sir. what it do. So if you go through the process of understanding that, mm -hmm. then but women get hooked, women get bamboozled. He like me? No, he don't. There's a process to like him. You know, I meet you. I think you're attractive. I'm asking myself questions. I'm trying to hit. Okay, after I hit, is it good? Is she freaky? Does she do tricks? Okay, I like all of that. Okay, now, is she trustworthy? Can I take around my family? You know, can I take around my friends? Things like that. Then he gets to, I like you. He don't start out at, I like you. And that's where women get it misconstrued. They start, oh, girl, I like him so much. How many times you heard your homie say, boy, I sure like her? No, nah. she fine as hell. She cute as hell. I can't wait to beat. Whatever he say, it don't never start out with, oh, boy, I sure like her. Nah, that's Come on, bro. It don't even go like that. Yeah. So we always start at different places. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's how we end up yeah. in different places. And I think eventually places. over time, I mean, like you – you you indirectly, I guess, in a sense, pay for it, I guess, like indirectly, like you were saying, like, but I guess women want to feel like you really do, like you said, care about them. Dude, I was brash. Do. I would call, hey, you naked? You getting naked? <laughs> like for real, ain't no it's cut to the chase. It's a it's a it's a TikTok video of this chick and she's talking about don't call me and small talk me. Don't call me, ask me how I'm doing. If we just cut buddies, call me and what that mouth do? This is cut to the chase. So I think women prefer to be lied to. Because if a guy's I'm tried and true. My cousin is smooth. He, oh, you look you look beautiful today. Oh, your hair is so nice. Oh, I love that haircut. So we used to work together. And I worked at the school first. And all the chicks, oh, your cousin is so sweet. He's so this, he's so that. 
Man, you I ain't gonna blow it. a spot up on, <laughs> on the podcast. You already know. I'm like, man, but I was very straight and direct. Like, look right. here, Shorty, what's, what's up? You trying to get naked? Mm-hmm. And I was seen to be abrasive and you know whatever. But when my cousin was like, oh, he's so sweet. I'm like, no, he's not. <laughs> he's really not. <laughs> and you know when you hang with dudes, you know who's who. You got some yeah. sharks. You got some barracudas. Some you got some piranhas. <laughs> and you got some goldfish. <laughs> Which one are you? That's <laughs> real though, because I, I think eventually it's going to lead to that. But like you said, I, like you said, it, that was a good point. Where I think you, when you said about women like to be lied to, I guess in a sense they want you to make them feel like they're special. And of course, you like you said in the book as well. It's like some women know just looking at you, like whether they're attracted to you, and whether they, whether they want to give it to you, just whether you blow your cover or not, or how you. And uh, improve they, your chances. When or they see you, they already know. He can mm-hmm. get some. Now, do you blow it? Or do you seal the deal? It all depends on who you are. Are you a fraud? Because when you talk to people, they know. Or they find out very quickly. You know, if, if, if you cool, there you can't manufacture coolness. You can't manufacture being funny. Either you are or you ain't. And mm-hmm. that's when your true essence is revealed. So, you know, you can do too much talking and talk yourself talk out of yourself. it. Talk yourself. Yeah. That's real. It's so real. She got, she, she was warming up the engines for you and you blew and it. And you just mess it off. <laughs> Fumble Ruski. <laughs> we got to get ready to wrap it up. I got a, I got a couple more questions. Uh, should it cause a problem, like, if you, you're serious about someone and – you know, you share your past, you're open with them, but they don't want to share that past. Is that kind of like a red flag in a sense? You know, it all depends on where you come from. I I have my personal opinion, but I've also, since I read a lot of stuff and do a lot of relationship stuff, um, there's, there's conflicting sides to the story. Um, some guys, um, it's a guy, I can't think of his name right now. Um, they got a podcast, and um, he said... If you're worrying about your lady's numbers, you are lame. And I'm like, well, that's that's important to some people, you know. Um, I think is experience is important. You, yeah. I mean, you know, you 35, 40, 50 years old, you, you don't want a virgin. You, you know, I want a certified pre-owned. Like, yeah. you know, you know, um, <laughs> you know some, somebody done kicked some tires. You done picked up a couple of skills from somewhere, yeah. you know. Uh, I ain't trying to start back over uh, with you know at yeah. the wheel. So I, I, think I understand a, that. Yeah, it's, a, it's a give and a take. Um, it, so like like your girl, what's her name? Um, Kanye West's old girl, Amber uh, Rose. Amber Rose with the, with the yeah. slut rock. Yeah, you know you get into judgmental things. I think. I mean, because you can't change their past. You I mean, can't it, it change is the what past, it is, and and it is important. Some people mm-hmm. do care. Here's what I'll say. If if you're a woman and you've had multiple partners, obviously that's okay. Now, if you let the whole football team line up <laughs> on you simultaneously, that's some way nah, different. We, yeah. And that's got to be it, it. Now, here's what I'll say about women. You have to take control. You want to be um, have equality. You want to be equitable in the marketplace. All that is great. However... This is where I think women drop the ball. 
obviously we're in a patriarchal society and men is dominant and all this kind of stuff. And we forged a lot of opinions based on men's opinions. However, at some juncture when feminism or the feminist movement hit and things started to change, like free love in the 60s and then going into the 70s and all that stuff. At some juncture, if you stand up and bite the bullet and say, I'm going to own this. Why do women lie about their sex partners? Because they don't own it. Yeah. Well, we only had sex once. That don't count. He didn't make me come. That don't count. Uh, his penis was too little. That don't count. Uh, so you start making all these excuses for yourself where nothing counts because it wasn't... No, what if he penetrated with? your vagina, it counts. It count. Yeah. And I used to... I see that just with how my, my son is six years younger than my daughter. And it's in the book. And he hates when I say it. We ride in the car one day. My yeah, daughter's taking... Uh, health and they teach sex education and I'm like well damn we need to talk she's 12 years old and she's like they talking about oral sex anal sex all these different things I'm like what the hell they teaching y'all over there so I'm like Rev you know this is an emergency I said look at here babe all men want is your cookies and he said pajama yeah and she looked at me <laughs> she said daddy what's cook cookies my son is 6 years old in the car seat in the back seat yep I remember this in the book. This nigga hollers out, it's your vagina. <laughs> so I'm looking in the back seat like, how you how know? And, and you don't know. You 12 and he's 6. Right. And that right there captures the essence of men and women in relationships. So, yes, I do believe, you know, if you've dated or been married and you've got multiple sex partners and depending on your age, if you 20 and you got a thousand bodies, nigga, that's a problem. That's a- Hey, we're going to call it what it is. Now, are there suitors for that? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you own it? If you do, peace and blessings to you. I don't want a 20-year-old woman with a thousand bodies. That's a lot. Um, That's a lot. That that says that you engaging in some <laughs> other kind of pay-for-play activities, in my opinion. <laughs> um, But if you're a grown woman and, you know, you've been around the block, over time, of course, you can exactly. I mean, you're going to accrue <laughs> some numbers, right? So, I think if it's all in perception and how you handle it, if you own it, I'm back to owning it. If you own it and you're good with it, it'll come across in your delivery. Mm-hmm. If you're not, if you're shame, and why do we lie? Because we're you know, I would have never told nobody I, I had to clap if I was shamed. I was saying, no, nah, you yeah. you playing the game, you yeah. know, you you might catch fire. <laughs> and I and I even wrote about in my book, you know, about well, I have three kids and I have two two eight year olds and my my two eight year olds they're two months apart. So I was with my daughter's mom for about about we, we were in college. We met my freshman year in college. We were together about four three four years, and I stepped out on her. And my son's mom got pregnant first, and then she got pregnant right after that. So they were two months apart. My son was born in May, and then my my daughter was born in July. That's me and my sister. We were four months apart. September 24th <laughs> to January 24th. Man, we got, a, we got something else. <laughs> yeah, man. And for a while, I was, you know, I was down on myself. You know, I kind of, like, was, like, not ashamed of my kids. It's just, like, ashamed to tell people, hey, I got two baby mamas, and my kids are the same age, because first thing when I tell people the age of my kids, they think they twins. They think they twins, and I'm like, no. I said, you know, 
One of them was born in May, the other one was born in July, and they were like, oh, you were busy in school. And I was like, yeah, I was. Hey, know. man, you make mistakes and you yeah. grow from them. Exactly. You, yeah. you make mistakes and you grow from them, man. You forgive yourself. I talk about that in the book. You got to forgive yourself. But here's the thing. If you no, don't sure. learn from the errors or the mistakes, then the lesson was lost. Right. Now, I definitely... That was it. I was like, well, I have me and my daughter's mom. We stayed together and we had a, a, a baby girl. But as far as like running around, doing all of that, with, I was like, man, I got to chill now because that ain't even the stuff that come with it and everything. Like it was, it was a lot. But, but I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm thankful for my kids. I love my babies. But I was like, that was one time I was like, man, that was, I really was out here just cutting up at the time. But I, I was in college, man. Literally just and figuratively. Thinking, thinking I would just, <laughs> could just do whatever, invincible. And you would think, you know, after, you know, catching the STD, that eventually I would, like, slow down. But, man, I was just still just thinking I'm invincible. I could do whatever. But what I wanted to ask you before, as we get ready to wind it down, when should we kind of discuss these things with our kids? Like you said, your daughter was 12, your son was 6. Like, Because my, my two oldest, they're, they're 8 years old now. My baby girl, she's 4. And, you know, I see my kids growing up, and I'm like, man, I'm dreading having this conversation with them. You like, got to have it, bro. Yeah, I mean, you got to tell you why. And they go to school. Yep. Uh, at a certain age, they get cell phones. Once they get cell phones, they expose to social media. Everything. So, I, so Shannon was dating this girl, and she had forbid her children to use social media. And she was very adamant about, you know, my children are on social media. I said, dude, I've been in education at the time, like 25 years. I said, do your children go to school? Yes. Do they have friends? Yes. Do they do sleepovers? Yes. So they go to other people's house without your supervision with other children. Yes. Do their other friends have cell phones? Yes. Then your child is on social media. So mm -hmm. if you don't have those conversations, <coughs> you can't prepare them. You can. So my whole thing with my kids has always been I want to share things with them so when it happens, they can say, the seed has been planted. Oh, my daddy told me about this. Mm -hmm. Case in point, my daughter was in high school, and we've talked about numerous things. She had a friend who was sexting in middle school, mm -hmm. sending naked pictures the whole night, right? So I told him, this is what I told my daughter. If you send a naked picture on your phone to a boy, I said, you might as well walk butt-ass naked down the hall because everybody is going to have that picture. Yep. So sure enough, friend sent a picture to a boy. He showed it. He showed it to everybody. Another situation. One of her friends was dating this boy, and I told her, I never told my daughter not to have sex. I told her, if you have sex with a boy who cannot do anything for you, meaning he doesn't have the wherewithal, the finances, the maturity, or any of the things that you're going to need to be in a relationship and have a child and raise a child, if you give up those things, your dreams will be deferred. Not you can't have sex. I'm out of town. Spring break hit. One of her friends, Virgin, boy after, 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 gives it up over the spring break. They get back to school the following week. He don't even speak to her. She sent a friend to ask him, did he have a girlfriend? And he told her no. She distraught. My daughter calls mm. me, Daddy, how did you know? 
I know a whole lot of guys <laughs> like that. That wasn't my style, but I knew a whole <clears throat> lot of guys that that was their playbook. So my job is to share with you this. She went to the prom. She went to the prom with a guy. They were getting ready to leave the prom, and his friends, they were all going to ride together, and she was the only girl there. She told him, no, nah, I'm going with my friends. Because I done told her, then you don't get in the car with three, four boys going nowhere because that's the setup. Mm, so she called me like, hey, man, you, you be on it. And we got that kind of relationship. So when you put those, those plant those seeds in their minds, it allows them to be able to process information. And when it gets ready to happen, <clears throat> they can say, I've yeah, yep. seen this before. I know what this looked like. As opposed to what do I do in this situation? Yeah. Or oh, I ain't never seen or heard this before. Yeah. So <clears throat> you it kind of prepares them so they can be ready for it. Now, it doesn't do everything, but that's a start. Yeah. And I would rather, honestly, I would rather I know the day is gonna come, <clears throat> but I would rather them hear it from me than to hear it from somebody else. Because they're gonna get misinformation. Yep. You can Give them the real. You love them. You're going to tell them the mm -hmm. right thing. You're going to share. Hopefully, I ain't man. I, I'm, my kids know I had to clap. My kids know. Oh, a lot of my friends went to prison and did mm -hmm. everything. I've never tried to personify a perfect person. I want you to know. So one of the things that used to happen in my previous marriage, um, conversations would be had about what your dad did. And so my daughter would come to me and be like, mommy said such and such. I look, look here. We're not getting ready to discuss that. If I have to fall on the sword so you know how life is supposed to go and how a man is supposed to treat you and what a man is not supposed to do, I will fall on that sword every time. Right. But we're not getting ready to discuss what transpired between me and your mother because then that would mean I would have to throw her under the bus. And I don't want to do that. Right. So I'm not going to speak on what she said about me. And I'm not going to speak on what I know about her. We're going to leave it at that. However, if you need to know anything about anything relative to relational interactions between man and woman, you can come mm. to me and I'll tell you everything you need to know. Absolutely. That's definitely re respectable. Um, I just like, dang. And I, I don't know. I guess they're going to be like, man, I'm, I'm being a little... Uh, Cause I, I think it'll be a little bit easier for me to talk to my son as opposed to my daughter. Cause I, cause I, I know how guys are. I know how I was when I was in school, and I know the stuff that I was doing. So I really want to prepare my daughter because I'm like, man, you gonna a lot of stuff gonna come come your way, and they gonna try to tell you anything to get what they want. So you just have to be prepared because I was just like, man, I know how I was back then. So I was like, I need to, you know. My, my daughter has been, it's easier for me to talk to my daughter than my son. My son, so both of my kids are Gemini. Their birthdays are seven days apart, birthday sex. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Libra. My birthday was last Saturday. So they were born in June. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. Um, she's June 1st. He's June 8th. He's, she's way easier to talk to. He's very introverted. He doesn't, like I, I call him, hey, man, how's your basketball game? Good. How was practice? Good. I'm like, well, what did y'all do in practice? Y'all ran three-man <laughs> weave? Y'all 1v1? What was? Yeah. So I'm trying to pull information yeah. out of him, and it's like pulling teeth. Whereas I can call her, and she's like just 
Man, they both Gemini's, but they different. Mm. So he don't want me to know who he dating, which is weird. Like you, mm. my son, you look like me. You know, you popular. They love you. He he go to a predominantly white school. He one of maybe twenty five in the whole. They go K through um, high school. Mm-hmm. So they got three buildings. They got a middle school building, elementary building, high school building. So he's he's a very popular guy. He don't want me to know who he dating. He don't want he don't come in. I'm like, nigga, I got a wealth of knowledge here. I was a right. G. Like, do you not understand what <laughs> is that the resource that is at your fingertips? Right. But he rather talk to his mama. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it. My daughter come to me for everything. I'm talking about like daddy. Um, dude was blowing her up over spring break. Can I come over? Can I come over? So she told him, you ain't getting no you know what? So what you want to come over here for? Call me up. Daddy, this dude was trying to da-da-da. I told him he ain't getting such and such and such. And. I'm like, Lyric, you told him that for real? She's like, yeah, that's what you told me. That's how you taught yeah. me. So I can't even be mad because I raised you to be you vocal in those situations. Mm-hmm. Think about the dudes who attack women. If a woman sees a man and he look, you know, like edgy, and she verbally says something to him, a lot of times men, they'll go, they looking for passive people, docile. They don't want people who are going to scream, holler, fight back, yeah. say things. My daughter my, my daughter and son both box. My son box box. But I used to take her to train with him while he was, because the gym, you would train girls and boys. So she got hands, and she hit hard. <laughs> she ain't no little girl. So, like, she know how to protect herself. She is ready for the world. I mean, she's getting ready to graduate from Kennesaw State. She's president of, uh, she's an AKA. She's the president of sorority. Uh, Her major is chemistry. She was on, she represented, she was a senator for Kennesaw State Student Government Association uh, for the School of Chemistry. Um, She got two, three businesses. She does tutoring. She makes jewelry. I mean, she, dude, she is a breath of fresh air. I mean, I can't, if I had, if I had to pick my children, you know, out of a test tube, I couldn't have done a better job. I'm very proud of both of them. They're, you know, good citizens. They ain't doing nothing crazy. Um, we don't always get along. We don't always agree. But, you know, I think I did a decent job, yeah. and I'm, I'm very proud of what they turned out to be. Absolutely. My last few questions as we transition to, to the end of this interview, what advice, and I like to ask these few questions at the end of my, all my interviews um, for everybody watching. What advice would you give to someone that is pursuing their dreams? Oh, man, persistence. Persistence. You can't let anything deter you, anyone deter you. You got to stick to it. I mean, if I would have stuck with music, I don't know, you know, you think about fate and things of that nature and was that what I was supposed to do? I don't know. Um, and I'll never know because I didn't stick with it. Um, I have a creative, I am my best person when I am being creative, whether that be writing, whether that be doing music, whether that be whatever. Um, and too often people give up on their dreams. And the Mm -hmm. thing about giving up on your dreams, once you give up on your dreams, your life as you know it is over. You just existed. So that you're nothing, you're not passion driven. And if you don't have passion, you're just going through the, through the motions. Yeah. And I think it robs us of our youth. 
You think of the people who are older but still are very, you know. Active and energetic. Mm-hmm. They still got passion. And it says something about how they carry themselves, how long they live, mm-hmm. how well they, their quality of life. And so if, if, if you have a dream or an aspiration, 100%. Because the thing about it is, if you find your passion, you'll never work a day in your life. So, mm-hmm. persistence. Absolutely. What would you tell your younger self, if you could give yourself younger self any advice, what would you tell your younger self to do differently? Leave, if any, if it's anything. Leave them girls alone. <laughs> leave them girls. <laughs> leave them girls alone. Man, Me and my homie, we talk about that every day. If we would have put half the energy that we put into the ladies. The chasing women, man. That, that is so true because my mentor would tell me the energy is real. And it's like, he made a great example. Like when, when, I, when I shot the interview with him, he's like, like when you're in college and you, you put all the energy in like figuring out where you're going to go party at. And you figure out where you're going to go because that's what you put your time and energy to because you're trying to figure out what to hit up, what's we the place to jump. figuring out what to invest in, Man, how to buy you. this property, how to pursue this dream, yeah. how to make this dream a reality. And we didn't know that, you know, how much you're going to lose chasing women. Yeah. And you just thinking, man, just you got all the time in the world. You think you're going to live forever. You just want to live in the moment. You're like, man, we'll worry about this later on down the line. And then they say, you know, the real world is here. But, I mean, you, you, you have to understand where you came from. And it goes back to they said, well, you ain't going to live to see 25. So mm-hmm. your your outlook is going to be different because tomorrow might meet. I mean, a lot of cats that I grew up with, they ain't make it. Matter of fact, yeah. a dude, I saw a dude I hadn't seen in years. And he hit me up for um, my birthday. And I said, yeah, man, a lot of dudes didn't make it. And he's like, you are absolutely correct. Yeah. So being this age, I'm blessed. Cause it's a blessing, yeah. A whole lot of cats. And I, and I want to share the knowledge, the information, whatever I can with the younger people. So they can do better and prosper. So my last and final question as we wrap this interview up. This is the Cross the Line Podcast Self-Investment Tour. So what does self-investment mean to you? Oh, man. That's what the book is about. Make Happiness is an inside job. Working on you in every aspect of you. And then once you do that and perfect and like what you see, you pursue that in another person. And that leads you to the promised land. But if you don't know yourself or you're not happy with yourself, you'll never be happy with anybody else. And I think you're building on a, a faulty foundation. So if you build it, you know, yourself up and know who you are, then you can look for that in somebody else. The sky's the limit. Absolutely. Troy, I want to thank you again, man, for this interview. I appreciate the conversation we had before and then leading up to this interview, man. This was she had a lot of good laughs, man. But you dropped a lot of gems. And I told my buddy Calvin on the way here, I was like, man, I think this is going to be a good one. Like, just the stuff, <laughs> just reading the book and the conversation we had, I was like, man, this, I think this is going to be one of those ones, man. But I appreciate you for taking the time to sit down with us. Um, we really enjoyed it. Got through all the traffic. We made it here, so I appreciate it. But before we got here, can you tell everyone how to find your book and find you on social media? Uh, I am on, the book is Insider Dating. We're on Amazon right now. Um, I got uh, Facebook, Instagram, 
TikTok, all of them same thing, insider dating. Um, tell everybody, man, buy somebody a book, tell them you love them, be loved, show love, all of the above. And I thank you very much for having me. Yes, sir. I appreciate your time. And please go get the book, you guys. You will definitely enjoy it. Like I said, I'm I'm more than halfway done with the book, and it's a lot of gems. Like, I had so many notes on here that... Some of the stuff, I was like, it's still some things on here that I didn't even get to. But, man, it was a great conversation. And I really appreciate you taking the time to um, have this conversation with us. So hopefully everybody learned something from this interview. Hope you guys enjoyed it. So until next time, keep chasing your dreams. This is the Cross the Line Podcast. Thank you for listening.